Welcome to Gattusa First. Normally what we do here is work our way through a book of the Bible at a time. That's typically what you're going to get when you show up here on a Sunday morning. We just spent a long time in Colossians, and we'll be moving on to our next book in a couple of weeks. But in between books, every now and then I like to have a topic or a subject that I want to dive in a little bit deeper to. And the kind of thing that has been on my mind for quite some time, there's a verse that just keeps mulling over in my brain, is found in John chapter 14. If you got your Bible, turn to John chapter 14. We talked about this last week, and we will talk about it next week, and that'll be the end of trying to figure out what the Christian Zen is. If you're familiar with like Buddhism or some Eastern religions, they have this idea of Zen, this idea of like total calmness and peace with everything around them. And sometimes we look at that and like crossing your legs and going, oh, doesn't bring me much peace, and it probably doesn't bring you much peace either. And so is it just a lie that having faith in God can bring you some kind of deep inner peace, or is that actually biblical, and if so, how do we get it? Because if I was to ask many of you, are you totally at peace in your life? Some of you will be like, you know, I, I had conflict this week. You're going to have conflict next week. That there's all this fear, anxiety, and tension in your life. And there's all this sadness and heartache. And you go, I don't really feel at peace. But if you have your Bible, John 14, verse 26. When you got it, say, I got it. All right, there we go. I was waiting. It says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I know he's talking to the disciples, but I think this is applicable for all of us because after all, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So that sounds great. I would like to have that, please. I would like to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, as Scripture says. But yet it seems something that is very difficult to find. Last week we defined it. What is, what is peace? The uh, Old Testament word is shalom, right? The, this, it's not the absence of conflict. Even in the middle of conflict, there's some kind of restoration that takes place when we have a relationship with God that even though there are things to be afraid of, we do not live in fear. Does that make sense? In fact, Proverbs 1-7 says that fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Later on it says fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want knowledge and wisdom, then there are some sense where you need to be in fear or be in awe of who God is. In the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, the, there's uh, these beaver characters, and one of the little girls walks up, and she's asking about the lion that represents God, and she says, is he safe? And the beaver character says, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And that is the same way of, with God, that God is so big, you dare not run from him, you can only run to him. Thankfully, he is a good God. And he protects us, and he encompasses and wraps his arms around us and keeps us safe. We talked about defining what peace looked like 
uh, my question is, even though I know the definition, it's still hard to find. Even though I know the definition of what that piece is, it can still be difficult to find. My mom has a superhero. I think all moms have this, like, superpower. I think all moms have it. Even after I moved out of my house and lived on my own, I could call my mom, and I could say, I can't find my shoes. And my mom would say, have you checked under the couch? And I would go, and I'd look under my couch. Oh, how did you do that? You don't even live here. She goes, well, you, that's what you always do. You walk around, you, you, like my mom would say, hey, I need you to pick up your shoes. And I would go, okay, let's sweep them under the couch. Because if you can't see them, they're no longer out and about, right? Like I've cleaned up because now it's no longer visible. And so when you do that long enough growing up, as you become an adult, you see your shoes and you do this. And then you can't find them because you forgot what you did with it. But my mom had this ability to say, hey, um, <clears throat> Whatever you lost, it's still probably in plain sight. You've just put something over it. I used my wife as an example last week. I can never find my keys. Uh, if I'm 10, 15 minutes late to work, it's not because I got up late. It's because I spent 10, 15 minutes trying to find my keys. And my keys are usually where I left them, but I also put eight other things on top of them and can't find them. Any other men have this problem? Am I the only one? Yeah, yeah, y'all don't want to rat yourselves out. I got you. Um, and so this piece that we're looking for, is it possible that we have put things on top of it, though we know where it is, we know where it comes from, it comes from Christ and Christ alone, that we know where it is, but we have a hard time getting it because we put other things on top of it. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I think the first thing that we put on top of the peace of God is just our expectation of what we think this peace will be. You ever got frustrated, especially maybe if you're a new believer, and you were, had this idea that if I become a Christian, my life will become easier. If I get saved, all my problems and struggles that I was dealing with as a lost person are gone, and now my life is going to be sunshines and rainbows for the rest of my life. And then as soon as something really difficult happens, you're going, Where's God? I don't know where he is. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I don't know. But that's because we often have the wrong expectation of what our relationship with God looks like. The prosperity gospel makes this really difficult for a lot of people. Because the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It's no gospel at all. It tells people if you have a relationship with God, he will always make you healthy. And he will increase your finances indefinitely, right? Like you're just going to keep getting richer and you're always going to be healthy. And this is what televangelists on TV do. This is how they get your money. They say, if you give us your money, we will say a special blessing over it and you will have prosperity in your finances and in your health. Now you can see how that sets some people up for failure, doesn't it? Because if your expectation of what this relationship with God is going to look like is bad, then you are going to be frustrated with the reality of what this relationship looks like. So I want to show you with the reality of what it's like to have the peace of Christ given to you. Luke chapter 22. Turn over to Luke. Luke 22 verse 44 is where we'll start. Actually, let's start with um, 39. Luke 22, verse 39. I'll give you the full context. Got it? Let's go. It says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. 
and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So we have the Prince of Peace the one who says, my peace I give to you, my peace I, leave, my, I, live, I leave, and I do not give as the world gives. But yet here we see him in a situation where he is so stressed out that he is sweating drops of blood. Now that's pretty stressed out. I've never been that stressed out in my life. And when he is praying, he is asking his father, do I need to die or not? Do I have to go through with this? Is there another way? If it's possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Can I ask you a question? Is Jesus at peace at this moment? Yes, he's still the Prince of Peace. So when we think about the kind of peace that he leaves with us, we need to keep in mind the times that he had great struggle and sorrow because we tend to think that peace is some kind of emotional response. Peace isn't so much emotional as it is um, positional in your relationship with God. Because why can I say that he is still the prince of peace in this moment? Because even though his circumstances were so dire, he was not a slave to his circumstances. He still said, Father, your will be done, not mine. And contrast that with his disciples. What are his disciples doing? They're asleep. That seems more peaceful, doesn't it? Doesn't sleeping seem more peaceful than sweating drops of blood? But the truth is, Jesus is the one that's actually more at peace. The disciples were sleeping from sorrow. They were so stressed out from the moment that they were completely exhausted, robbed of all their energy because of fear and worry and stress and anxiety and terror and all the things that came with that moment that we can't even imagine. They were wiped out. But Jesus, though I'm sure is wiped out as well, emotionally drained, was not a slave to his circumstance, was able to pray, no matter what happens, your will be done. That is a person at peace, a person who is not a slave to their circumstances. I'll just read to you Psalms 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Here is a man who is writing from a position of peace. Because how does it begin? He says, God, you are my shepherd. I don't need anything else. I don't need anything else. He says, you are actually the one who makes me lie down in green pastures. And by still waters, you restore my soul. Now, if we talk about what peace is, part of it is the restoration of your soul. It's the completeness that comes from having a relationship with God. And you're not going to be, in. when we think of like 100% complete, we tend to think having no problems, no worries. I am right now complete in my relationship with God. If you're a believer, you are complete in that sense. That the price has been paid. Christ took your sin and gave you his righteousness. But there is this process of sanctification where he is transforming you into what he has already said that you are. He says, in the middle of all these wonderful things that he's saying, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because of why? Because you're here with me. So here you have the psalmist David saying like, look, you make a table in front of my enemies for me to eat at. So he still has enemies. He's still walking through this valley of the shadow of death. That sounds awful. If there's any valleys to walk through, don't go to the shadow of death one. That sounds terrible. But here he says, I can walk through this and I don't fear anything because you are with me. Peace is not the absence of emotion. That's what Buddhism teaches, right? That you just get rid of all emotion. Nirvana in Buddhism is to desire nothing. They say that you are caused by all your frustrations is to want things. And because some things you want, you don't get, and that leads to frustration. So the way to get rid of it is to just not want anything. But don't you have to want nirvana in order to pursue it? So you can't even want the thing that you're trying to achieve, or you'll never achieve it. And it's terrible. There's a, a, a young Buddhist lady who was really struggling, written about in a, a book by a guy named Rabbi Zacharias. And he was talking about a conversation he had had with a young Buddhist woman. And every night she would leave the temple to go spend time with her family because she had two kids at home and a husband. But she was trying to achieve nirvana, and in the Buddhist temple they were saying you have to cut off those relationship ties because if you desire relationship with your family, with your kids, with your husband, that will lead to disappointment. And so you just have to not want that stuff anymore. And no matter how much she heard that taught to her, she still desired that relationship because lack of emotion is not a way to peace. I think Guys struggle with this a lot. We can just show, we compartmentalize. They just show no emotion. And so people don't know if we're having a good day or a bad day. They just think that's just, we're just even kill. But under the surface, there can be some kind of rage that is just boiling. Peace is not the lack of emotion. We tend to have a nearsighted view of peace, right? It, it, like when things get bad, we want like this thing, peace, to show up and somehow solve the situation. But can I tell you that peace isn't something that like we call on. It's something we look forward to. And I get this from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. 
It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. So though he might have moments where he is sweating drops of blood, he's not nearsighted where all he can see is like what is right up in front of him. He can see all the way to the hope that's coming. And if you put your faith and your trust in what will happen, Christ will return, the world will be restored, relationships will be healed, like sickness will be gone, death will be defeated, and if we put all our hope and trust in that and we can believe that what Christ has promised is going to come true, that I am not going to be just drowning in today. I can have my eyes on eternity and what good will come from that. You know, have you ever been around somebody who's going through um, sickness? I've told this story, I think, a lot, but I, I, I tell it because for me, it was so impactful as a, as a young Christian growing up. I was sitting in church one day, and there was a, a lady, mid to late 30s, who had had cancer. And the cancer was winning the fight. She had been gone from church for a while because it had just gotten so bad. And one Sunday, she showed up, and she wanted to give a, a testimony. She had a bandana on her head. Her hair had all fallen out. And her voice and her body, it was, it was much weaker version than the one I had seen last. And as she got up to, to kind of just tell what had been going on in her life, she said, if I had a choice to go back in time and never get cancer, I wouldn't take it. Because what I have learned about God through these difficult times has become so precious to me, I would never want to lose that. And that sounded, if like, we're just gut level honest here, that sounded like a ridiculous statement to me at the time. I'm trying to, like, you're trying to tell me God is so good, and whatever pain that you have gone through, he has revealed himself to you in such a way that he's become that precious that if you had the choice, you would get rid, you would not get rid of that relationship with God. I mean, you'd remain a Christian, you just wouldn't be as close to him. And not have cancer, you would rather have that relationship with God and cancer. She died shortly after that. But I, I remember when she was talking about that, I said, God, if you are that precious, I, I, want, I want to know that. I want to know how big and good you actually are. This young lady was at peace. Even though her body was failing to work, she was at peace. How can you have that? How is that possible? For the same reason that Christ can have peace in the garden, because of the joy set before him. If, if you are constantly struggling and problems are always abounding... My guess is that you're probably nearsighted and you are so focused on the problem that you can't see five weeks, five months, five years into the future. Is everything eventually going to be okay? Church, is everything going to be okay? 
Is Christ going to come back? Is he going to wipe away every tear the way he promised? And if we don't make it till he comes back, did he not promise a place for us? He did. So guess what? In spite of all your emergencies, everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Your family, they love Jesus. Everything's going to be okay. This world that is in constant conflict and war, man, I can't imagine growing up in this generation. Y'all have, emer like, everything's an emergency. And, like, there are catastrophes, it seems like, every month. You've already survived, like, six once-in-a-lifetime events. You keep having those. And that's your baseline. You don't know anything different. You just think, so this world is just constantly in chaos? Apparently so. It will be okay. I'll finish with this. I think one other thing. Uh, now, could we pile, it could be, um, say I have the peace of Christ sitting here on this table. Could you not pile a million things on it? We could. Like, we could spend the next six weeks talking about all the different things. Um, dependency on finances, dependency on relationships, because your finances won't be perfect, your relationships won't be perfect, and if you count on those things to give you peace, you won't have peace. Right? It will be temporary, and it will be situational. And as soon as the situation changes, you're going to lose your peace. We could pile a million things on it. But I think, I'm just trying to hit the main ones, and I think one is our expectations, and I think the other one, that if I was to say, what are some things that really hinder your peace with God? I would say it would be unbelief and experience. I think we just don't have big faith anymore. You don't need much anymore. You can order anything on Amazon and be brought to you the next day. You don't have much needs and so you don't rely on God the way throughout history other people have had to rely upon God. So I think it's hard to put all our hope in Christ when we haven't really experienced him much. It's hard to trust him for the big things if you don't even need to really trust him for the little things. Do you need to trust him for your finances or does your job take care of that? The modern church has done a great job of entertaining you, sometimes even a good job equipping you, but not a very good job of pushing you out the door. But a faith never exercised is a weak faith. I, I wanted to, I'll just tell one story because I don't want to be, um, I, I, I promise you, I'm trying to do this in a way where it's not like, look how much faith Caleb has. Because that's, this is about Christ, not about me, right? So give me some grace on this. There have been times in my life where I got to a chance to experience God do miraculous things. And the more you experience that, the hungrier you get for them. So at the age of like 14, 15, my dad, who was a missionary, would take me overseas for the summer. And we would do a drama, a street drama about the gospel of Christ. And we would do it in subway areas and things like that. And at the end, you would give an invitation and you would see people get saved. Uh, every single day, you would pray four or five people to accept Christ the Lord. That's incredible. And you get hungry to see more people get saved. But you had to have permission to do these things. So we had to have, like, from the government and from the city or wherever we were going to, in order to be able to do this drama of, like, 30 kids. We, it was a big, big deal. And one day we show up... Uh, 
in a parking lot that we are going to do the drama in, and we have all our paperwork, and a police officer comes over and says, you can't do it here. We say, why not? And he says, because I don't want you to. I said, but we have the paperwork. And he says, I don't care what you have. And we spend the next five or six minutes, like, arguing with this police officer. We have people praying, like, the enemy's trying to keep us from doing the drama here. That there must be a lot of people about to get saved. This is the enemy at work. Lord, would you get rid of the enemy so that we can do the drama? And we're praying that as hard as we can. But this police officer will not budge. He says, I tell you what. Do it right over there. We're like, but it's just... What's the difference between here and there? He goes, I don't want you to do it here. You better do what I say or I'm not going to let you do it at all. So fine, we resolve ourselves. We go over here. We do the drama. While we are doing the drama, a car spinning out of control hops over the curb and runs right into the spot that we would have been. We would, it would happen so fast that we had no way to be able to get out of the way and several of our kids would have been hit by a runaway car. And as we're doing the drama, we looked where we were supposed to be at, and the officer who wouldn't budge for no reason made us move, and we were able to stay safe. And there's story after story after story like that. And you see God work that way, and you go, I want more of that. And we tend to think, like, I want more of the big miracles. Can I tell you, the best stuff isn't that. Those are neat stories to tell on a Sunday morning. But you know what the best stuff is? Just getting to pray with somebody that you care for to accept Christ in their life. Somebody that everybody else maybe thought there was no chance that they would ever come to faith. Maybe you even gave up on them. And you you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. And then one day you get the chance to share with them how good Christ is and they become a believer. To me, though, like a faith that is not lived out is a really weak faith. James says it this way, 2.14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's one of the reasons we have our food and clothing ministry here. It's because we want to live out the faith that we have. So we feed people, we clothe people, we take care of people in the community, and that is faith expressing itself. As you express your faith to the world around you, your faith should grow deeper. And as your faith deepens, your level of peace should increase. Does that make sense? Okay, I want you to be at peace. I don't know if you can hear the children in the uh, nursery. The nursery workers are not at peace right now. For that sake, I'm going to wrap up. Um, They're going to appreciate that. Uh, One more week on this tomorrow, and it'll be a much simpler, uh, easy to follow along, but I hope you caught what we were trying to, to give to you this morning.